By the year 270 AD, the Roman Empire had already seen its best and strongest days. The once mighty empire had ballooned to such a vast region of land, it had become impossible to effectively rule and manage from Rome and sunset was quickly approaching for the once mighty empire. Although Christianity would not be the official religion of the Roman Empire for more than 50 years, there were many pockets of the empire which practiced Christianity. One such pocket, over 1,500 miles from the heart of Rome, was the city of Patara, a Mediterranean port in modern-day Turkey. It was here that a boy was born around the year 270, to a family of wealthy Greek Christians. Exactly who his parents were depends on who you ask. By some accounts, his parents were named Epiphanius and Johanna, but, according to others, their names were Theophanes and Nona. As is usually the case, with wealth comes connections. The boy's family was well-connected in the upper circles of society. His uncle was even the bishop of the Greek city of Myra. The boy seemed destined to be a man of the cloth, and was eventually ordained a priest by his uncle. After his parents died, the boy, now a man, distributed their wealth to the poor. Going about doing good, the priest is said to have traveled far and wide, visiting distant places as far as the Holy Land. Eventually, the priest came to the city of Myra, where his uncle had once been bishop, his uncle's successor had just died, leaving the bishop position vacant. The priest was appointed as the new bishop of Myra. It is traditionally believed that this bishop of Myra died around December 6th, in the year 343. These are, more or less, all of the actual facts that are known about the man's life. So why does he matter enough to talk about him in a podcast episode? Well, as it usually goes, it is the legends of historical figures that are usually best remembered and most retold, and this is no exception. The legends about this Bishop of Myra are many and epic in nature, so much so that just 200 years after his death, his bones were already being plundered from their resting place, brought over to Bari, Italy by sailors, and from there, the bones were scattered across all of Europe, a finger bone here, a tooth there, so many cities, fighting and bartering to lay claim to even a single bone, or at least what they thought was a bone, from the dead Bishop of Myra. Why all the fuss? Again, it all starts with the legends. The traditions passed down from generation to generation. During his travels, some say this bishop had calmed turbulent seas with just a word. He was said to have saved the city of Myra from famine by procuring wheat from merchant ships in a very miraculous way. Stories tell about how he resurrected three children who had died at the hands of a malicious butcher and rescued innocent people from execution, and had the ability to even appear to leaders like Constantine in the form of dreams and visions. But of all the legends, of all the stories for which the Bishop of Myra was remembered, there is one in particular that continues to live on for many, many people around the world. It is said that the bishop heard of a devout man who had once been wealthy but had lost all of his money due to unfortunate circumstances and some irresponsible choices. Consequently, the man could not afford proper dowries for his three daughters. 
According to the legend and the times, this meant that the three daughters would likely remain unmarried and probably, in absence of any other possible employment, be forced into prostitution. Hearing of the girls' plight, the bishop decided to help them, but, being too modest to help the family in public and to save them the humiliation of accepting charity, he went to the house under the cover of night and threw a purse filled with gold coins through the window into the house. The purse of coins happened to land in a stocking that was hanging by the fire to dry. Upon discovering the money, the father immediately arranged a marriage for his first daughter. After her wedding, the bishop threw a second bag of gold through the same window late at night, again with the coins landing in a sock. After the second daughter was married, the father stayed awake for at least two nights and caught the bishop of Myra in the same act of charity toward the third daughter. The father fell on his knees, thanking him, and the bishop ordered him not to tell anyone about the gifts. Despite the widely varying claims of the time and place of this legend, it has lived on and thrives today in the form of a tradition that most are at least familiar with, as most are also familiar with the Bishop of Myra, who was eventually canonized. Yes, the Bishop, Nicholas of Myra, became known as St. Nicholas, the patron saint of sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves, prostitutes, children, brewers, pawnbrokers, unmarried people, and students. This is the St. Nicholas, or St. Nick, you are probably thinking of by now. And as for the legend of saving the girls by throwing purses of gold through the window into the stockings? While there are no written records of the true origin of the Christmas stocking, this legend is the most commonly accepted origin story of the holiday tradition. This led to the custom of children hanging stockings or putting out shoes, eagerly awaiting gifts from St. Nicholas. Sometimes the story is told with gold balls instead of bags of gold. That is why three gold balls, sometimes represented as oranges, are one of the symbols for St. Nicholas. Children used to simply use one of their everyday socks, but eventually special Christmas stockings were created for this purpose. These stockings were traditionally used on St. Nicholas Day, on December 6th, although in the early 1800s they also came to be used on Christmas Eve, as they are today. Another legend explains that the tradition of Christmas stockings derives from Dutch folklore. In the Netherlands, Santa Claus, called Sinterklaas in Dutch, and his fellow assistant Black Piet, or Zwarte Piet, annually dock in the harbor of a different city. When they disembark, Sinterklaas and his pal travel around on a white steed and a mule. The children eagerly await their arrival and prepare special treats of hay and carrots which they place in their wooden clogs. On the day of the arrival, the horse, the mule, and Sinterklaas would enjoy the children's treats and then reward their devotion with small presents such as candies, ornaments, nuts, and toys. When the Dutch settlers immigrated to America, they introduced Americans to many of their traditions. After a while, Sinterklaas became known as Santa Claus, and allegedly, the wooden clogs were replaced by stockings. All over the world, this tradition has been molded and altered to complement local beliefs, traditions, and customs. From the Norwegians, we see a more fantastical version, driven by Norse mythology. 
Children would leave out boots filled with hay and treats for Odin's flying horse, Sleipnir, to enjoy during the pagan Yule celebration, generally around December 21st. Odin would reward the children with gifts and candy. There is one connection between the flying horse and the flying reindeer of Santa Claus. Sleipnir had eight legs, and Santa had eight reindeer. Coincidence? Maybe. The Italians tell of a witch named Lavafana, who decided not to go with the three wise men on their journey to Bethlehem to find the baby Jesus. Later, she regretted that decision and left to go on her own journey to bring gifts to the baby, but never found him, and gave the gifts to other children. Labafana is still looking for the baby Jesus, and children still set out their shoes or stockings, hoping that Labafana will fill them on the day of the Epiphany, which is January 6th. There was another side to Labafana. She also was one of the original figures behind the tradition of bad children receiving coal or dark candy in their stocking. From China to the Caribbean, from Russia to South Africa, so many have developed their own unique take on the tradition of socks or shoes being put out during the holidays to receive gifts and treats. Really, the most miraculous thing about St. Nicholas is that billions of people have been reenacting this legend for thousands of years and remembering a man about whom next to nothing was actually written about his life. But that's the thing about traditions. Traditions are powerful. Traditions bind us together, giving us a common vine off of which we can each blossom in our own unique way, while having a common source of values and strength, even if it centers around a historically dubious account of someone throwing some gold in a sock. In a world of ever-increasing divisiveness and turmoil, traditions can serve as powerful threads, holding together that beautifully diverse tapestry that are the peoples, cultures, and beliefs of the world. Whatever your holiday traditions might be, we at the Immortal Souls Podcast just hope you get to enjoy them this holiday season. Spend time with loved ones and take a moment to breathe, reset, and recognize the simple beauties of life. Happy holidays, thank you to all of our listeners, and we will see you next year. Uh, drrr.